Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for listening wherever you are and on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Today's topic is going to be focusing on player health, their physical health to be exact. We know as coaches that our players are taking physical risks of all kinds when engaging in basketball and unfortunately injuries and Issues related to their physical health, unfortunately, are going to be unavoidable. They're going to happen at some level, one way or the other. But we also know as coaches that there are things that we can do to help present, prevent the frequency of injuries, as well as make sure that injured players are being rehabilitated and reintroduced to the sport the correct way. So to help bring some insight on this topic and help shed some light about how we can go about that rehabilitation and reintroduction, I'm very happy to be joined by a sports physical therapist as well as team physical therapist, uh, Abby Gordon, who works both at Seattle Children's Hospital and under normal circumstances for the WNBA Seattle Storm. Abby, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is so important of a topic that we make sure that we discuss because we, we really focus a lot on our coaching and, and the things that we need to do and the X's and the O's and all those sort of things. But we need to make sure that our, our players are, are healthy and that they are physically ready to, to perform at the level that they need to and that we're looking out for their health and safety. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started with your journey, kind of your journey in terms of what led you uh, down the path of wanting to become a physical therapist. Where has that journey taken you? And I know I talked a little bit about it, but uh, your, your roles and responsibilities right now. Sure, yeah. Um, so I grew up in Connecticut, and I was very fortunate to grow up at the time when women's basketball was really taking off. Um, I remember watching Rebecca Lobo and Jen Rosati and Nikisha Sales growing up and thinking that it was super cool that girls could play basketball, and there wasn't yet a WNBA at that time. But um, just being in a in a state that embraced women's sports was was huge and certainly impactful and so then when i went to high school i decided to be the team manager for the girls basketball team and also was the manager for the boys lacrosse team um, and then i went to uconn myself and was the manager for the women's basketball team there we won a national championship my freshman year of college was diana tarazi's senior year of college and they had already won two in a row by the time I got there. And so that experience really shaped a lot of my goals in my future as far as wanting to be around athletics. Um, I also worked with the women's soccer and softball teams in college for one or two seasons apiece because basketball, just the, the way the seasons line up is the majority of your school year. And it was my favorite. And then I jumped in with the Connecticut Sun WNBA team for four seasons. I was their travel coordinator and equipment manager right after college. I started with them the day after UConn lost in the Elite Eight uh, my senior year, and I just went to training camp the next day. And then um, after four years, I ended up deciding that too many players were getting hurt, and was there anything I could do to potentially help prevent that or help them recover and a few of my family members had had some surgeries that I kind of was like wow this this medical stuff is interesting to me my undergrad degree was exercise physiology and so it was already there a little bit and so I went to UConn for PT school and my thesis was on women's basketball injuries and um, just as I was graduating because my thesis was in the WNBA and the former Big East college basketball conference, I had reached out to all the WNBA teams that participated in my thesis and asked if anyone needed a PT, and the Storm had never had one. Um, later, I found out that most teams don't have PTs, although some are improving that now. Um, and so their athletic trainer hired me to work in his PT clinic and work with the Storm. And then later on, I 
switched over to working at Seattle Children's while staying with the storm. So it's been a really long journey, but basketball has really been in the forefront of the whole journey. Well, it, it sounds like if you're going to get interested in, in, in women's basketball and, and, and make that journey onto the WNBA, there isn't too many schools that are better to go to than, than UConn. So <laughs> it yeah. sounds like that was the perfect school to go there. And, and I think it's really interesting that, that you mentioned how the, the injuries uh, was something that, that you noticed right away. Um, I, I, let me just touch on that really quickly before we start. Was there... A, a certain type of injuries or was it a case where there were just all types of injuries that were happening relatively frequently that you noticed? Well, for me in particular, and I've, I've told this story at presentations at Seattle Children's and a few other places, my high school teammate, Brittany, tore her ACL when we were sophomores in high school. And I very clearly remember that happening, but then it happened again in college. Nicole Wolf, I was feet away from her. There was no one playing defense. She was just doing like zigzag drills when she tore hers. And I remembered Shay Ralph doing it, watching it on TV when I was a little kid. And then in the WNBA, I think it was four of the athletes that I became close with who tore theirs. I'd have to count back in my head again, but um, just, I think the, the, everyone talks about the ACL and part of that is the the length of the recovery. So with, you know, there's tons of ankle sprains and I know we're going to get into some of the specific injuries later on, but the ankle sprains people recover from so quickly that it doesn't really linger with you the same way. And just watching my friends or watching the athletes that I worked with recover from this really long, arduous process, I think that was the biggest impacting injury that that pushed me towards PT. Right, and, and you mentioned about the, the zigzag drills. I know those non-contact ones, those are the ones that, that can, can be especially worrisome because there wasn't any necessarily contact to uh, facilitate that injury. But um, yeah, ACLs definitely, and, and you spoke about ankles. I'm somebody who chronically sprained their ankles and probably never took care of them and <laughs> probably would have been better off if I listened to advice for, from others. But uh, I, I kind of live a cautionary tale about taking care of those. So yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get into it. Okay. Yeah. So especially at the high school level, but I mean, there's even talk about, about MBA even and in, in possibly WNBA as well. When we talk about load management and things like that, there's a lot of discussion among coaches that players in general are, are playing too many games, especially if they're on club teams, as well as the school team that the players are playing too much. And it seems that players are playing more now than they ever did. Do you think that that's increasing the chance of injury? And have there been an increase in certain types of injuries that you've personally noticed? I think this is a great question. And I think it really depends on a lot of different circumstances. So the key, which you already said, is load management. I think that's a big buzzword around right now. And I think what people, people often forget with load management is that that doesn't allow you to separate the physical health from the mental health component because it's all one body. So for me, when I look at an athlete and they tell me that they got injured and they're playing club as well as their high school team, but they're also in three AP classes and maybe there's some stress at home or breakup with a significant other and they're not sleeping, I worry more about the collective load more than just, are you playing too many games? Mm -hmm. So I kind of look at the athlete as, as a jar of, and, and you know, each stressor is marbles that you're putting into it. So if today you did a really good job with your nutrition and you did a really good job with your hydration and you got some rest instead of you know, playing in four games over the weekend and then loading up and loading up and loading up and never recovering and keeping overfilling your jar versus strength training once in a while, which will help you be more resilient. I think, I think that's where the problem lies. So I, I don't, I'm not of the habit of telling athletes or families to stop playing a club team or stop playing in their school team. I'm more of the habit of saying you need to consider how much you're doing. And if you had two tests in school today, so you didn't sleep last night, is it going to kill you to take a day off from practice? Mm -hmm. And kind of like managing all of the stressors, because we know that the high school kids, especially the ones that are really good students, they're, they're not sleeping enough. 
they're not hydrating enough, they're not eating well enough, and that definitely is impactful of how you recover game to game. Mm-hmm. Well, you touched on a really good point about about the mental aspect because we know that mental health is in many ways a great predictor of physical health and so if there's like you said about the about the analogy you said about the marbles if there's all these mental uh factors that are coming into play that are just piling onto them then chances are like you mentioned things like rest and things like recovery are probably not happening to the level that they need to and i'm i'm assuming based on your answer that one of the things that you've noticed as well is that typically those in need of uh maybe a lot of uh physical therapy or or who are having reoccurring injuries are also probably not resting and recovering uh, the, the right amount am i correct in thinking that way Oftentimes, yeah, with the overuse injuries or the non-contact type injuries, I would say that's more common versus, you know, a traumatic injury. You can't, you can't avoid all of these things. I think Mm -hmm. those are different circumstances, but for sure, I think that that's an important consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something to to consider in in one of the episodes that we talked about we talked about uh strength training and and, and things of that nature and and how sometimes there's players who just want to go 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 and they want to keep like training and they think that that's going to help them and in the sense i can imagine that with rehabilitation it's the same way that you can't force the timetable of rehabilitation and just like with strength training you have to give that time to rest you have to get that time to recover and especially if it's an injury you have to give your time body to repair which is what rest is for usually yeah i think there's a common misnomer or misunderstanding that if you want to get faster at running all you should do is run and i i Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that that message has gotten out because the reality is if you get stronger, you can run faster and, you know, it impacts your endurance differently also. So I, I think, it, you know, I've seen plenty of athletes who run all day long and then on the court, they, they can't land from jumping. So, right. yeah. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? So we're going to get into this uh, typically – uh, we're we're going to focus on basketball here, but this is a broad issue, so it, it's no problem if, if if other you know examples get brought up. Not a problem at all. We're focusing on keeping our players physically healthy as well as prevention as much as possible of injuries. So, in your experience, what injuries are the most common and are the most reoccurring, and what preventative measures could have been taken to prevent these injuries from happening in most cases? Sure. Uh, Most common and most recurring are the ankle sprains and just general knee pain where you didn't have necessarily an injury or you don't, nothing is torn, you're just having knee pain. Those are the two that we see most often and most recurring. Um, And for those, uh, I would say strength training and balance training are the two biggest keys. Uh, unfortunately with ankle sprains sometimes once you've done it you're a little bit more susceptible to it happening and so then there's the big conversation of whether or not ankle braces are the right road to go down and and I think that there's pros and cons based on what you what your individual body really looks like and how severe your ankle sprains were whether or not that's a good idea but sometimes it really does make a big difference between injury recurrence and sometimes I think it puts you at more risk for other injuries. So I, I, I'm more not supportive of the ankle bracing unless you had a really pretty severe ankle sprain. And I usually recommend just for during games. But um, for, for the knee pain, strength training, and just being uh, not overdoing it with the cardio. I, I very often think that some of these teams have been running far too much and not really working on body mechanics and strength and squat jump landing that kind of stuff it well i i think that it makes a lot of sense when you mention about the ankle injuries in particular that one of the issues that occur is the way that athletes land in the way that they come down because a lot of times i know what happened with me like when i came down that's when i would have that ankle sprain or i would have that ankle injury so 
do you think then that there does need to be more of an emphasis on, on, on those things about landing and the way that, that a player comes down? Or, or are there certain techniques that a player should maybe be keeping in mind of how they come down? I know so many coaches cringe when players come crashing down on one leg, and, and they're, I know they're really worried about that. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the ACL injury prevention programs, and obviously that's an ACL injury prevention program, but they're including mm -hmm. bounding drills, and single leg hops and single leg landings where you're landing with a little bit more of a bent knee position um, rather than like stiff leg landings. Uh, and, and again, that's for the ACL, but, but I think that contributes with the ankle to having good balance because if your balance isn't really great, you tend not to be as loose. Mm -hmm. You tend to kind of stiffen up and land firmer and heavier and louder. So when I'm teaching people in the clinic how to land or even with, with the team, it's soft landings when you jump onto a box or off of a box. It's soft landings when you come down from a rebound. And for sure, if I'm working with an athlete in the, in the clinic, I'm fortunate that I have a basketball court in my clinic. So mm -hmm. if I'm working with a basketball player at Seattle Children's and we're working on their ankle sprain getting back to basketball, I may focus their entire session on how they're landing after they take shots. And I don't think that that makes them focus on it long term. I think it's just more of a training to get repetitions in and get the body moving in a different way than it's probably used to. Also, in high school, your female athletes are probably having their growth spurts. So they need to learn how to better control their bodies as they're growing, which is not easy to do. Sometimes, you know, they look just, they don't have the control that sometimes I think the high school boys get a little bit sooner just because I think their growth spurt happens a little earlier. Mm. Well, that, that's a great point in that the way that a 5'5 freshman is going to land versus a 5'11 senior, there's yeah. going to be differences in, in the way that they come down. And so, yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I want to touch on, what you talked about with this term balanced because I can hear some players just say like, well, I can stand on two feet and I can stand on one foot. So like I'm balanced. Uh, what, what is balanced to you in a basketball sense? Is it the way that they come down? Is it the way that their, their, their posture looks? How does a, how would you know if a player is balanced or imbalanced? I think there's a lot of ways you can look at balance for sure. Standing on one foot and closing your eyes and seeing if you fall over is the, pretty simple way to do it or standing on one foot in your passing lines and passing to each other varying between bounce passes and chest passes and out of the center of your body space and having to reach while being on one foot and doing it both ways and just working on that control on one leg but the other thing too is we in the clinic have been doing more in like a half kneeling position so that would be where one foot it's almost like a lunge but your knee is on the ground okay and having an athlete stay tall and doing different movements with their arms to see if they're able to just stabilize through their hips because that's balance without even looking at your ankle and your knee and so we're doing drills that way for athletes with hip or, or back pain, athletes who need some, a little bit more targeted core conditioning. The core is one of those controversial topics in sports medicine of what is it and how do you train it and should you train it specifically. And um, so I, I think that people should be doing more things like bear crawls where they're kind of on their hands and knees and taking some of the motion in different positions, um, which is weird to do on a basketball court because it's hard. Well, as a follow-up question to that, one of, one of the things I was going to ask you is, uh, at a coaching level, what are some things that coaches can do to help prevent these? And so what it sounds like is coaches should maybe consider the way that they're doing some of these drills as a way to not only maybe improve things like flexibility and balance, but also kind of a way to like spot check whether or not their players are even balanced or, or flexible in the correct ways yeah for the for the high school level i think the best thing that a high school coach can do is find a reputable injury prevention program and use it as your warm-up every single day with your team a pro program that is going to include a little bit of squatting a little bit of lunging probably some bounding and some balance and some single leg deadlifts that i mean 
there's there's several programs that are available and I think a lot of coaches kind of steer away from them because they under they recognize that it probably is going to take 20 minutes every single day but are layup lines really that much better I, I don't I don't think so um and I, I don't know that just running up and down the court other than getting your body warm makes you move that much better that you if you chose to have your athletes do you know jog up and down one time and do some backpedaling and then do 25 squats where you're really working on your form and then maybe doing some passing drills while you're balancing i think it's going to have larger carryover versus some of the more traditional circle stretching where the athletes are kind of reaching for their toes and chatting about homework you know so yeah yeah well that, that's a great point about about the, the the program or having a program like that because as coaches you know we we aren't necessarily qualified to to know exactly what it should look like and so having a guide like that where okay they should be doing this and then this is what it should look like when they're stretching or going through their warm-up routine sounds logical and sounds like like it would make sense and so with that if a coach does adhere to doing that and they're going through this routine if they notice that players are you know, imbalanced or they seem really inflexible, I, I can imagine that some coaches are, are going to just say, well, like, that is what it is. We're just going to have to go through and do what we're, we normally do anyway. And then hopefully that player kind of figures it out as we go through this routine. Uh, but is there something that a coach should notice right away where, like, if a player is demonstrating, like, certain amounts of inflexibility or inability to do certain things, that that has to be, like, immediately corrected before they go forward? What, what's your take? on that I think my take is that we have awesome communities around us and anytime a high school reaches out and says hey do you have a physical therapist who would come and look at my team moving we are often happy to come and check it out so if there's a strength and conditioning coach that's well trained in your area or if your high school has an athletic trainer um, or if there's a parent who's a PT from one of your athletes who can can come in and sit you don't need to take tons of time to assess for risk of injury. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that everyone has some risk factors and we're never going to be able to get rid of all of them. But if, if I took a look at your whole team and I said, you know, those three athletes look like they would really benefit from working on their squat pattern just based on how they rebound. And the other three would look better if they worked on a different uh, on their lunging because of just the the way that they move when they cut side to side and then i just give you two or three things to incorporate in your practice to help everyone i'd rather spend an hour with a team outside the clinic than hours and hours rehabbing two of your athletes well yeah the, the idea about uh, prevention versus a cure and and, and taking yeah. those preventative measures is is definitely something that you, you invest a little bit more time in, in, in the front, but then you'll get that time back when these certain injuries hopefully don't happen or at least don't happen as frequently, right? Sure, that's yeah, the goal. They, yeah, that is the goal. And so one of the things that you mentioned, which I, which I thought was interesting, is, is you brought up the example of, of knee pain. And so that made me think about players themselves being to kind of diagnose and being able to advocate for themselves. And so is there... I know there's not a perfect formula, but is there a way for a player to be able to kind of identify to themselves that this is discomfort and this is maybe like pain versus this is something that's like an injury and this is something that needs to be like checked out and looked at? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, if you're having pain when you're sitting or just standing or even just walking, there's a reason why that's happening and you probably shouldn't be running. And it, it fascinates me how many athletes will come in and they'll say, I'm playing basketball every day, but it really hurts to go up and down the stairs. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have an injury, but it's for sure saying that something is going on and going up and down the stairs is less stress than coming down for a rebound but I think you notice it because you're doing 12 stairs right in a row and you might just do a rebound here and a rebound there and there might be enough time in between. Mm -hmm. So for sure, if they're having an impact in their daily life, 
I, I feel like it needs to be considered and checked out before, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean they have to stop playing. I've been a physical therapist for six years, and I think I've told three athletes that they needed to stop playing their sport in six years. And, and mm -hmm. for all of them, it was short term, and there are specific injuries that you really can't play through, but they're not super common in basketball other than concussion. And um, no physician would medically clear you from a concussion if you weren't recovered anyways. But right. um, so usually I am excited to say play your sport and let's work on moving in a different way to get you able to tolerate it better. So I think if they can't tolerate their daily life, that's a, that should be a big enough trigger. Like let's get them checked out while they keep playing. But that's what I'd look for. Yeah, and, and it sounds like for, for a coach then that they need to build an environment where they can have those quick check-ins with their players so that the players will will say something to them. Because I think one of the things that, that players may get confused about or there may be some miscommunication about is, is that players may think that you know, discomfort or pain or being hurt. That's just like what comes with, with playing basketball and that just is what it is and you just work through it. But as you mentioned, if there's certain things in their just everyday routine that are causing them this discomfort, then a coach should be able to have an environment where they could bring that up with their player or just if it comes up in conversation that a player would feel comfortable enough like telling them or telling somebody and then that coach would be aware of it and be able to kind of go from there. I think another thing on that topic too is parents need to be aware of how much ibuprofen or over-the-counter medications their kids are taking. Mm. I had a teammate and she still to this day takes so much ibuprofen and she always did for her knees in high school and that was just what she thought she had to do to get through and now she runs marathons with ibuprofen but she takes less because she finally started lifting weights and changing some of the way that she stressed her body and I, I, I don't know that a coach would necessarily notice that because they're right. probably not doing it, you know, right on the sideline. But I do think that from a medical perspective, that can be pretty dangerous, especially if they start taking more and more of it to try to get through. So something that, you know, to float around with, with the parents of, hey, is your kid carrying ibuprofen in their duffel bag? Because I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just saying they, it needs to be something that's kept track of. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And, and, and definitely the best coaches and I think the best teams have that collaborative environment with the parents, with the players and with the kids. And, and it may seem like a, a strange conversation, but that should raise, you know, at least uh, a question or, or at least something on a coach's radar. Like, okay, like this player feels the need to, you know, have ibuprofen all the time or, or they're constantly talking about this that or the other if they're with their physical uh condition and, and again it might not be where a player directly even says it to a coach but i think a coach just needs to be aware of like the things that are maybe said offhand or said to their teammates and be able to kind of address it and, and kind of go from there if the information that they get yeah so when players do get hurt and they do get injured i know that Pretty much all of them, they, they want to get back to playing as soon as possible. And so they're going to do, do their, their therapy. And in, in most cases, I hope that they're going to adhere to what they need to do while they're in therapy. But what do players need to be aware of to make sure that they're doing outside of their therapy sessions? And are there things that players do at home or whatever the case may be that end up lengthening their recovery time? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great loaded question. Um, <laughs> for sure, athletes go back too soon and that lengthens the recovery practice process. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that happens too much. That happens with athletes who, um, were told that they need to stop playing their sport for a specific reason, like a surgery and come back too soon, having not met criteria. So like with an ACL, surgery at my hospital you have to pass a certain set of criteria before you're ever going to be cleared to play your sport but for sure we hear of athletes going back sooner than they've been cleared and then if they're 
there's always the concern of how much more risk of injury are you at at that point. But putting that aside, um, I, I think that what I see the most is fear after missing time with teams. And so I think the biggest thing with an injured athlete is to be around your team. So if you have an ankle sprain and you're only going to sit out for two weeks, you should be at the court doing your physical therapy exercise program while the team is practicing. You should be engaged in conversation with your, with your teammates and your coaching staff. And you should be learning because when you have the bigger, longer recovering injuries, usually the skills you start to fall behind because you haven't been around your team. And you feel a little bit like you let your team down by having this injury and there's guilt. And it's, it's really sad how many athletes do all this recovery from some of their injuries and then don't want to go back because they, they have been away from their team for too long. So I think one great thing coaches can do is, you know, give your athlete the first few days of recovery if they've had an injury and then reach out and say, here are the ways you can help the team, even though you can't be on the court. Um, and then obviously they need to be doing their home exercise programs. But I think that coaches can be interacting with physical therapists and athletic trainers if they have them. Um, I, I've definitely talked with many of our local coaches, even if it's just an, a list of, hey, your athlete had an ankle sprain. I want them to shoot 100 free throws every day so that they're at least getting their hands on the ball and standing, but I don't want them doing any jumping or running. And I'll write out, here are things that are okay, here are things that are not okay for the athlete to do. And a lot of the times, I mean, most, unless you have a back injury, which isn't super common in basketball, why aren't you doing core exercises with your teammates? If your team is getting into the weight room, do the bench presses if you have an, a leg injury. Um, there's, there's always a way to get the athlete involved with the team so that they don't get so separated and then their mental block, I think, is better later on. So again, the, the mental injury component going in with the physical, but the exercise programs are usually pretty comprehensive if you have a good PT, so. Well, you, you bring up a, a really good point for coaches to consider and keep in mind is that when a player gets injured and if it is for a few weeks or longer, it is possible for coaches to kind of fall in the trap of, of almost abandoning that player and that player feeling abandoned and, and forgotten about and that they are going to need to still be around their team and, and going to be need to be around their teammates. Because I think as coaches, one of the things that, that we, we might fall in the trap of doing is we have a player that's hurt and then they get better and they're rehabilitated and then mentally they're just ready to go and they're ready to play again. But like you said, if they've been isolated and if they've been away from their team, you kind of touched on it about like there's this kind of like level of insecurity and this level of like feeling like they, they might not belong on that team like they once did before. Yeah, you're missing out on all the inside jokes. There's a little bit of a loss of identity. It's interesting with the coronavirus pandemic, I didn't treat a patient in the clinic for almost three months. And I started to feel that loss of physical therapist identity mm -hmm. of like, wow, I really miss being with the patients. I really miss my day-to-day -day routine. I can't imagine if this was me as an athlete missing my sport for however long. And it, I, I think it actually was an important thing for me to experience to just connect to athletes who are going through this because I do see that a lot. Yeah. And, and that players need to feel like they're, they're, they're being supported and they, and they feel that they, they're, they're being encouraged and that, and that their team and that their coach is, is still there for them because and I'll have you speak to it. I can imagine that one of the, the common feelings that you get often when, they, when, they're, when physical therapy is taking place is that there's, there's a lot of frustration and then there's a lot of stress. And I feel like part of your job too is kind of working through that emotion and working through that mentality because I think for players to rehabilitate the way that they need to, that their mind has to be in, in the right spot as well. For sure. There's, there's fear, which is an interesting thing to combat that I, I never expected I would be working with athletes fear um, because so often athletes seem fearless, but 
the fear of re-injury, the fear of having to, you know, find your spot or be a few spots further back in a lineup than you were before. It's a real thing. And it's interesting. I, I recently spent um, a couple of days with a Division I college football team, and we were I was asking them what their process was to return an athlete after an ACL injury. And they told me that they did this series of tests very similar to the ones I do. And then they asked the athlete, are you ready to play? And if the athlete isn't convincingly, I'm ready to play 100%, they don't let them play. They, the athlete needs to be ready. They need to own it. They need to say it. They need to feel that emotion. And they, they I don't know how they judge that because it's a little bit subjective. But, you know, I thought that was an interesting thing that, you know, for sure I've asked athletes in my clinic, hey, if soccer practice was tomorrow, would you go? If they're not ready, then we need to do something different in the clinic to get them ready. They might need to do some mental imagery of picturing what it would be like for them to practice or go to practice and watch and then, you know, picture in their head themselves doing some of these drills on their own to try to get those mental repetitions in until they're really ready to own it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that, as you've mentioned, and, and it's, it's funny because we, we talk about, you know, physical therapy and physical therapists, but, but it's also mental, mental <laughs> therapy as well. And, and that for a lot of our athletes, right, they, they, they almost seem invulnerable or maybe they felt invulnerable, but then they have that injury and then there's that fear because maybe it's the first time they've really felt that like vulnerability before and they felt like they're, they're human in a sense. And so it could be a little bit earth shattering, but it's a great point that you mentioned that that as a physical therapist or even as a coach, we don't get to make the determination as to whether or not like a player is ready to go, even if they seem to be ready to go. Like the player has to, like you said, they have to own it and we have to kind of work through it with them. And And part of that is that there there's a fear of re-injury i'm sure i know when i when i hurt my ankle i was like super hyper aware of it and it probably affected me a little bit in terms of playing and so is that something that's common that you have to work through where where players are too worried about the, their previous injury and that that you have to kind of rehabilitate them that way so that they're not completely focusing on that injury that they used to have yeah sometimes i find myself just breaking down the sport um, one that I did this week is one of, I have a, a softball player, she's an outfielder, and she really wanted to play in a tournament, but she hadn't practiced at all. The only thing she had done was thrown a ball with her dad in the backyard, and she was afraid to do any of the drills. And I said, okay, well, tomorrow I want you to go, and I want you to only do throwing drills with your teammates, and then I want you to hit but not run the bases. And she's like, what do you mean? And I was like, those are the only things you're allowed to do. And I, so I took out some of the uncertainty for her. And I, you know, I, I said, these are the only activities you're allowed to do. And you're going to do them every day this week. And when I see you next week, we'll see how it goes. And she comes back in and she's like, yeah, I hit. It was great. I couldn't believe that I could hit. And she got injured hitting, but she didn't want to field. She was too afraid to run in the outfield and try to catch a pop fly for what I mean, hitting, you're pretty stationary. So it was fun to break down her sport and then have her come back in a week and say, I did 25% of practice. Well, now you need to run the bases when you go and I want you to just catch the pop flies, but have them hit them right to you. Like see if your coach will modify practice just for you with your teammates. It's not going to hurt anyone else to bring up your teammate. So with basketball, for sure I've done, okay, you're only doing drills where you're on offense, we're doing ball handling, you're doing free throw shooting, you're doing three-point shooting, but you're not doing any offense versus defense. And sometimes that's all it takes is them to just get into a few drills and feel the ball again and remember, their body remembers what they used to do. So, you know, sometimes it's just remove some of the pieces that are a little bit more um, uncertain and Offense versus defense for sure has that other people that you have to react to versus zigzag dribbling drills, which are pretty set lines. Yeah. And, and, and to bring up a previous point that you mentioned about how these players, depending on the length of their injury, have potentially been away from the court and been away from playing. And there's probably going to be a level of insecurity for them to feel like they have to be right at a hundred percent where everybody else was at if they've already been gone for a few weeks. So it sounds like letting them 
be successful at certain things and kind of build up to potentially getting to do everything that they used to kind of allows them to see success and, and allows them to see progress and, and have those kind of small victories along the way. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, there's, there's so much mental to this, you know, it's a huge yeah. mental component. And, and I think that I'm really glad that you mentioned this because, uh, you know, for, for coaches, I think we, and I say we because I know I probably have felt that way that if a player is healthy and they say that they're healthy, that's like, okay, well, I'm not going to treat you any different than everyone else. Like, let's go out and do everything. But that that might be ending up doing a, a disservice. And so for for coaches, is is that the recommendation that you would give for safely reintegrating these players back, that the, it's a slow reintroduction, even if the player does feel like, hey, I'm, I feel completely fine and comfortable, like let, let me go do everything. Should, should coaches kind of as a general rule kind of do that slow reintegration and slow uh, progression to get players back into, into practice and games? Yeah, I think that that probably correlates a little bit with how long the athlete has been out. But for sure, for some of those longer um, injuries, I, I think that's necessary. And I think that usually that should happen with the medical team um, in collaboration. But yeah, and, and I think that it's something where if you, if the athlete is told they can come back and play, and you put them on the court and you feel like this looks, it just doesn't look good, try to create opportunities for success and tell them, we're going to wean you back in. Why don't you do the all the warm-up drills? Usually I have athletes doing warm-up drills with their teams months before with ACLs, and, like, they may never do anything else but warm up with the team and then sit on the sidelines. But, you know, warm up today and watch all the drills, and then tomorrow we'll put you in half the drills so that they, they get their feet wet and for sure, if you go zero to a hundred, you're you're risking other injuries anyways. So the progression makes sense, especially if they've been out kind of a while. Yeah. If it's only been a week or two, it might not be that big of a deal. Right, right. But yeah, especially if it's those longer term in, in injuries, that slow re reintegration, because yeah, we, we don't want to put them in a position mentally where they're going to be be not successful, and and then physically we want to make sure that we're we're going about it the right way as well. And yeah, well, I and think, the other part is that with with rehab from a lot of injuries, of course, I want to get a cardiovascular workout in, but I can't spend my whole session trying to get your endurance back up. So if you've missed a month of running on the court, you're not going to have the endurance that you had a month ago. Your strength could hopefully be better, but you're going to be pretty fatigued. You're probably going to be a little bit slower. That I, I think that has to be really impactful for you to get back on the court and only to feel like you're really slow. Mm. So the progression would help with getting that cardio fitness back. I think as coaches, we owe it to make sure that we're creating environments where it's not so, so competitive, especially maybe at the high school level to where players feel like they need to get out on the court as soon as possible because they're going to lose that, their, their playing time or they're going to lose their spot. And so I think coaches just kind of have to be aware of that and create an environment to where the players are supportive of each other and that if a player is hurt, they're still around the team and they're, they're supporting and they're encouraging maybe that player who's getting more time because they're, they're hurt. Agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I know that we talked a bit about, you know, ankles and we, we, we talked about knees and we talked about, about those injuries because they're really common. But I, but I also know that concussions are, are still things that, that you still see and you still deal with to, to, to some extent. And so mm -hmm. are there particular precautions that that coaches need to be aware about with concussions specifically as it relates to basketball is it different with concussions in basketball than it might be with other sports in terms of the recovery and in terms of what players are going to need to be able to do to recover from one I don't think it's different um from basketball to other sports it's a brain injury no mm -hmm. matter how it's experienced I think the key consideration really is that if the athlete is diagnosed with a concussion and they have any symptoms at all, they should not be playing. If the athlete cannot make it through a full day in school because it is too draining, they for sure should not be on the basketball court. Um, 
there, there's a lot of research on what happens if you sustain a second concussion while your first one is still active. And that's when I see you in the clinic for months because it is terrible. And I, I'm not one to, to try to induce fear in people, but letting a concussion recover all the way and going through the proper medical management of a concussion really does matter. Um, and I don't know that I feel that way about any other injury because it's your brain. So, you know, for all of the ACL athletes that I've seen and I've worked with for months, it is hard work and it is sometimes painful and it is sometimes um, really, really not great for, for, for the athlete and for their family. But the concussion when it's dragged out is so much worse. So yeah. I'm glad they're so rare, but mm -hmm. I mean, the mechanism of injury is a little different. Like in baseball, you've got a projectile fl th flying towards your head at 90 miles an hour, and that's not happening in basketball. Uh, I mean, we had one with the storm two seasons ago. She hit her head on the court, and it was not great. But because we followed the protocol, you're back on the court in the appropriate amount of time. And I think it's the biggest problem with the concussion that a lot of people don't know is there's nothing on an image that tells you you have a concussion. Right. The imaging that is done, a CT scan or whatever they do, is to make sure you're not bleeding internally. But a concussion, your brain looks normal. You just are not presenting normally. You're going to have headaches or dizziness or, you know, difficulty with light, difficulty with sound, difficulty reading, all of these things. So it's based on clinical presentation, which is really hard for a lot of people to understand because you look normal. You don't have bruises or scars or anything like that your imaging looks normal but you are not normal it's a chemical change and for sure we we have pretty good ways of getting people back from them but they definitely shouldn't they should be taken much more seriously than they are i think yeah and 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 what happens in games and and i've seen it too and in, in, in coaching and, and in various experience of games that i've watched is a player will go down and they'll you know smack the back of their head against against the the floor and then from there they're they're taken off and then there's something that that happens uh, some sort of uh, examination or evaluation but but for me personally and maybe i'm just over cautious i have a, a real concern if a player like hits the back of their head I, I personally have a concern with ever like putting them out for the rest of that game. Is it really just like a case by case basis or is there like a certain general thought that should happen that if you see a player whose back of the head smacks the floor that coaches might, might want to generally follow? The interesting thing about concussion is that there's state laws that regulate it in every state, I think. Mm. For, for sure in the state of Washington, which is obviously where I am, if you get injured and i don't know if it's specific to football or all sports but your athletic trainer assesses you and if you are considered to have a concussion you are not allowed to return to play that game and they need to monitor your symptoms and determine whether or not you need to get evaluated by a physician um i i personally think that with a high school athlete who really what are you risking by saying sit on the bench because the onset of symptoms is often delayed so, you know, you hit your head on the floor, your head is going to hurt no matter, you know, unless you didn't yeah. hit it that hard, it's going to hurt. And that's normal. It should hurt. But you may not have the headache. You may not realize you have amnesia for several hours. You may not start throwing up for hours. So I, I'm of the inclination of if it looks like you could have had a concussion, sit. Yeah. And, and you're gonna have to in in some cases because i've had to do it you know deal with a, a player who's, who might get a little frustrated at you but i think they'll yeah. understand like well, in the, the parents long run, should understand even if the athlete doesn't mm -hmm. you know people don't consider concussions as brain injuries often enough because they're not using those words but it is a mild traumatic brain injury so right. you know if you were in a car accident and the airbag went off and hit you in the face you would get assessed medically. So this is probably the same amount of impact of you hitting your head on the floor. Obviously I can't measure that, but um, 
I, I think it's too serious. And I think that there's not enough on the line. You know, you're not talking about whether or not this athlete is going to get a college scholarship from sitting for one game or, you know, you know, like the, the negative consequences of having a repeat injury are, are really, they're so much worse than just missing half of the game. Well, you bring up a good point about the terminology. I think if we use terms like mild brain injury versus major brain injury <laughs> in lieu of concussion, I think that might illuminate, illuminate some people and then get them thinking about it a little bit more seriously if, if we use that sort of terminology. But yeah, you're right in that, you know, what, what's the game, the game worth, worth in that moment? And as coaches, you know, it's not about us either, you know, even if it's our best player and we're going to lose that game, well, okay, like that, that it's going to be what it's going to be and that it's, you know, brain injuries to me and anything with concussions, it just doesn't seem like anything that, that, that's worth messing with, especially like you said, that these symptoms can, can be delayed and you can have these symptoms that come up later and, and then you don't want a situation where you, a player got hurt in the second quarter and they came out in the second half and then an hour after the game they're displaying all those symptoms. I don't think any coach would want to, or any parent either, would want to have to go through something like that. Yeah. Right. There's also cool information about how quickly the younger athletes recover from them versus over age 20, which is an interesting kind of cut line where the high school athlete who gets a concussion, like 80% recover within two to three weeks. So yeah, that's time away from your sport, but the reality becomes if they get a second one, like I said, I don't see them until they've had symptoms for usually three months. So if you've had concussion symptoms for three months and then I see you for several more months, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it can be so much worse. Like I'm actually struggling with words because it's so hard to express. When they're bad, they are really bad. When they're good, I, I, it's funny because I'll get one on the schedule and they'll be scheduled at like three weeks out of their concussion and they're 100% fine and I just do a screening test and I'm like, great, so glad to see you're good to go. But then there's those other ones where they are have missed school for weeks on end. They can't eat, they can't sleep and you have to completely restructure day to day and get them out of failing classes, let alone playing their sport. Yeah, and then the issue becomes so much greater than their sport because they're not sleeping, they're not eating, right. <laughs> they're they're yeah. they're doing bad in school, and it just creates a lot a lot more issues than than if it was properly taken care of. And I know of people who had gotten concussions in high school, and and they'll tell you that they're probably still not completely over them, or they've just gotten so used to whatever those symptoms are now that that's just part of their life to some extent and, and that those are things you definitely don't you don't want to have reoccurring ones and, and I believe that if once you do get one you are more susceptible to getting more in the future if I'm correct in thinking that. I don't know if you're more susceptible or if just the recovery is prolonged and your symptoms mm. are usually not as light like that I think they're worse right. each subsequent okay. time. Right right okay that makes a lot of sense. So, I think right after you've had one, you might be more susceptible because your reaction time is usually slowed down. So mm -hmm. somebody's running at you and you would normally be able to react or in a car, your, your reaction time of stopping is, is delayed. But, but I don't, I think that other than in that, you know, right after injury period, I don't know that you're at more risk. Right, right. No, that, no, that makes more sense. And that if, you, that if you're already kind of recovering from one, then, then you're going to, you are potentially going to be in situations where another could happen because like you said, of those delays or, or whatever yeah. the other symptoms that you're going through are, right? That makes a lot of mm -hmm. sense. And so can, how should ideally in a, in a perfect world, how should coaches, particularly at the, at the high school level in particular, how should they be using their athletic trainers? What, what is the best way to make the most use out of them so that the athletic trainer isn't just like the person that they got to see when, when they're hurt? Because I, I yeah. feel like that isn't necessarily the most positive relationship if players right. only see their athletic trainers, oh, this is the person I'm going to because I'm hurt. Yeah. So the, the hardest part of that is that a lot of the time the athletic trainer is one person for however many athletes you have at your school. Yep. Uh, I think it's amazing the strides that the Athletic Trainers Association has made to 
you know, try to get every school, every high school to have an athletic trainer. And that wasn't a thing. I mean, I had one in high school that was just for football. And, you know, my, our athlete tore her ACL, there was no athletic trainer available. So you just had a parent helping out. But I think, not that that's bad, but I mm-hmm. think that potentially finding a way for you, first of all, having a relationship with the athletic trainer as the coach is helpful. So at least knowing who they are, when they're available, if you need them, maybe even asking, hey, the season's about to start. Is there any way that you can come meet with us and see if there's any, you know, injury prevention techniques that you can provide for our team at one practice? And for sure, asking them what they recommend as far as things that you can do for your athletes if they've worked with them post-injury. So... Mm. I don't know how your school sets it up. Every school is different, but some of the schools here with the athletic trainers are mostly employed by Seattle Children's Hospital, which is where I work. So it's kind of great because we kind of have a relationship. And if they think, oh, this athlete needs some work or they're having pain, they can send them to physical therapy and we're in easier access of communication. Yeah. So, and you know, like they're medically intelligent and able to help with injury prevention. Um, so, you know, if maybe they have a injury prevention program that they recommend for you guys to use as your warm up and then would be willing to help you implement it. But for sure, I think there's too many teams that don't interact with the athletic trainer that they have. Maybe they just don't know what athletic trainers do. So a connection with the coach, maybe having the athletic trainer come and spend one or two sessions if they're available to do it. And even more importantly is if you don't have a school strength and conditioning coach, figuring out a way to work strength training into your your team's routine, I think will go a very long way. And the athletic trainer may be able to help you with that if your team doesn't already have it. Yeah, that that that's all that's all great, and and it go kind of goes back to the the prevention part again, where even having that athletic trainer be there to kind of talk about different things that players can do to to potentially avoid injury or or lessen the severity of injury. I know our athletic trainer, you know, I've I've talked to her quite often, and she says, you know, I don't I don't want to be rehabbing a bunch of people. I like I don't particularly necessarily enjoy when 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 people are getting hurt and then I have to sure. rehab them. I'd much rather be supporting them on on the court or on the field. And and I I think that there might be a a misconception that that some coaches might have that an athletic trainer like all they do is is rehab and they don't have any sort of like knowledge base at anything else. But I think that there's a wealth of knowledge that a, that a good athletic athletic trainer has that should be tapped into um, because I, I think for any athletic trainer, but besides the rehabilitation part, it's just as much gratifying for them to be able to teach something so that the, those players avoid having to have rehabilitation in the first place. Sure. They're medical professionals. And I think that often gets overlooked just because of their title, mm-hmm. which differs from strength and conditioning coaches who are not medical professionals. And that's an interesting you know, difference to understand in sports, um, especially right now, though the Strength and Conditioning Association is working towards getting better with their certifications, but there are some people who are just doing that job without any certifications, and that sometimes can be problematic. So that's why I, I defer to the athletic trainer and say, who do you think should be training us? Do you have recommendations of things we should be doing, if, especially if they know your athletes? Yeah. Yeah, that that that's a really good point that that you bring up about like is is this person I'm talking to are they qualified like what are their qualifications like you would trust somebody who is qualified went to school for that understands the the, the medical terminology and the medical practices that are involved and and I think that it's important for us as coaches to in a sense, kind of release that control and realize that we don't have all the answers to all of these things. And we, we sometimes see it as like, oh, it's our program, so we control every single aspect of it. But using the resources that you have around there, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach, an athletic trainer, um, mental health professionals that you have, like all of those people are, are just going to make the athlete have a better experience and, and, and have a more enjoyable time. Yeah. So. 
to wrap up uh, as part of our, our conclusion here, do you have any sort of, um, whether it's a helpful exercise or just a helpful tip in general that you would recommend for players or recommend like coaches uh, perhaps looking into to be using with their players? Uh, a specific exercise is really hard to do, but I would say more strength, less cardio. If you feel like you're spending half of your practice just running up and down the court and you're not doing any sort of, you know, resistance bands or, or squatting or deadlifting, I think that your athletes could benefit from that much more. Okay, so let me just touch on that really quickly so we can clear up a misconception because I'm glad that you mentioned this, is that strength training isn't just dumbbells and barbells and bench presses and hitting the weight room and so when you mention about strength training you're, you're referring to those things about bands and, and body weight exercise and other things sure. that, that can build up strength wall sits mm. yeah, yeah every yeah. athlete loves to hate them and hates to love them planks there are so many different exercises you can do with no equipment even just you know if you're in a lunge position and you're just holding it for 30 seconds it can get hard for many of these young athletes um, but I, I also would love to see more high school girls teams getting into weight rooms as long as they have a qualified person supervising them doing it. Right. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And maybe there's a misconception or like a stereotype that exists about putting girls in the weight room and they, they don't think that, it, that it's worthwhile. But, but it seems to me that, that, that that's probably not at all the truth and that, that girls can benefit for, from being in the weight room and, and from getting stronger and, and doing those, those exercises there for too sure. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that a common misconception in sports medicine is to, to that light weights are enough. I think we are grossly underloading our athletes. If you're, if you want to be an athlete and you're jumping up and down, you're putting six to eight times your body weight through your legs every time you land. So you need to lift heavy when you strength train or you're not going to get that much load. Mm. Yeah. No, well, there's a good point that you bring up about the science involved about how much pressure, how much of a load and how much that, that we're carrying on ourselves when we come down or we do these certain movements and that to, to lessen the, the burden maybe on, on, on some of the, the, the joints and, and some of these other things with the exercises and the training that we do, because it is a lot of pressure. Like you said, it is a lot of force that we're putting on certain parts of our body when, when we do these things in basketball. And um, I, I think we do, like you said, we owe it to, to our players and especially our girls to, to kind of push them and, and, and make them see the value in, in strength training and that. Um, I do think that we do kind of shy away from it too much for, for whatever misconceptions that we may have or, or girls may have about, you know, getting bigger, stronger and, and things like that. But it does seem kind of silly and seems like they could benefit from, from yeah. getting stronger. Right? I will say one of the interesting things I've experienced working with the storm, um, we, the strength coach and I together will do physical exams on the athletes when they come in. They do a separate one with the physician who does their whole medical examination which is very important but we do movement screens and strength assessments and you can very easily tell who did or did not lift weights with their college teams and the fact that there are still college teams who aren't really getting on board with regular weightlifting is a little bit shocking at this point but you know we we have to teach them how to move at this level and then other ones come in and they move so differently mm. and it, it's called training age it's how much time you've spent weightlifting is your training age so you know most of the kids when they get to college have very little training age and then when they get to the pros they should have a four-year training age but sometimes either you know they had injuries and then when they did their rehab program they didn't prioritize that which is different than what we would do so it's just it's interesting because i think that even if your athletes are getting into a weight room for 30 minutes once or twice a week as part of your training you're gonna see such impact on how they move mm -hmm. yeah yeah that, no that, that that's that's really interesting that 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 you notice that with with the training age and everything like it's it, it seems almost unbelievable but i but i i guess it does make sense in that you know there is 
sometimes not a value placed in in using things like 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 the weight room and, and things like yeah. that and and as a coach and and I know a lot of the coaches who listen to this they they talk about wanting to you know develop people through basketball and develop um you know healthy people and, and, and great people mentally and emotionally I think maybe exposing people to the weight room especially girls that might ignite something in them and they might not play basketball after high school but they may have really liked lifting weights if you exposed it to them and that might be something that they keep doing uh into their adult life and so yeah there it doesn't seem like there should be any reason to shy away from doing that yeah so to wrap up what i give every single guest uh is the opportunity to to call uh what i call the the 60 second soapbox where you can get out any final thought final idea closing message that you want our listeners to hear so I'm going to give you the floor and it is yours. I'm glad you gave me this in advance because I have three thoughts. The All first right. is the first is that physical therapy can be for recovery from an injury or injury prevention, but either way, it's the same as performance enhancement. You want to be a better athlete, you need to recover from injury and you need to prepare to prevent injury. So that we've talked about quite a bit. The second is that we talked a lot about the high school athlete, but if you're younger than high school, you should not just be playing one sport. Find a different one to play, vary it up in the seasons, or you need to be weightlifting to vary things at, at the very least. I don't think anyone should be specializing in one sport at least until they're age 14. For girls, if you don't have your period yet, you should be playing more than one sport and letting your body adjust to all these stresses. Um, and you should be able to have conversations with someone medically if things with your body aren't developing the way they normally should. Like your moms or your dads or your coaches need to be able to have that conversation. And then the last one is for the coaches that are listening, I think that for coaches, because they have interest in injury prevention, could do more to learn about strength and conditioning whether that be following certain strength coaches online or reading the book that we use in order to certify as strength and conditioning coaches. I'm certified as a strength and conditioning coach. It's not very, very, very hard in order to certify. So you could read the textbook too, um, but I think that the more knowledge coaches have about strength training, the more injury prevention we're gonna be able to, to get underway and the less athletes I'll see in the clinic. Love it. All of those were, were great thoughts and great ideas. And, and I really like the closing one that you mentioned is that we as coaches, we talk about all the time getting better at our craft and getting better at coaching, but getting more knowledgeable about things about strength and conditioning and fitness are essential if we do want to get better as coaches, because that, that goes with developing the whole athlete and the whole person. And so becoming more knowledgeable in that area, uh, I think would be definitely something that we should keep in mind as well. So yeah, th those are all great thoughts. And I want to thank you again for joining us to talk about uh, not just physical therapy, but about prevention and, and about just, just lifestyle in general and, and making the correct choices and especially the mental aspect of injuries and recovery and rehabilitation uh this was a really insightful conversation i think our listeners got a lot out of it so um abby gordon i want to thank you again for for joining us and i hope the the recovery goes goes well with all your athletes i hope you're able to interact and see them more and and, and good luck going forward with everything yeah thanks if you need any help let me know <laughs> awesome will do uh thank you guys for listening this is another edition of the basketball teacher podcast we will see you guys next time Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.